I can't think of a better first interview than one with my mentor and friend, Darwin Hobbs. Darwin is a husband, a father. He's also a talented vocalist. I mean, one of the best I've ever heard. He's got six solo albums to his credit. And shameless plug, I got my first writing credit on his album, Champion, with the song Power and Praise. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Darwin Hobbs to the convo. So I got to just start off with a day in the life because anybody who's looking at Darwin Hobbs online and in Instagram, you know, it's like, wait a minute, Darwin's in one city, two city, three city here. You're in New York all the time. You serve in Atlanta as well. What is it like just a day in your life, especially like leading into a weekend where you're serving uh, and it seems like two places. So just talk to me about that. How do you balance that? Well, a day in the life, Mark, for me is, let's see, a lot of times during the week, uh, I am, I'm having meetings. Let me just first start by saying that in this point, at this point in my life, I do serve in two different churches. Um, I guess historically I've been an artist and recorded, made records and traveled and, you know, appeared at churches as the guest psalmist and that. But then at a certain point in my life, I just kind of obeyed this call to really serve the local church more than anything. And that and, and serve them in a way of training and developing creatives and singers specifically. So I do that in two separate churches now. That's kind of what I feel called to do more than I more than anything. Um, so I partner with the church here in Atlanta called Eagle's Nest. And then I partner with what's in Alpharetta, Georgia. And then I partner for the last eight years with the church called Christian Cultural Center, which is in Brooklyn. The pastor's A.R. Bernard there. And the pastor here at Eagle's Nest is a, a guy named Lee Jenkins. So it's a humongous undertaking because it's two kind of major centers for worship. And so me being responsible as the worship pastor in both is a lot. It's a big undertaking. Um, but I do it well with, with some help of, of Tracy and my wife managing my time and a guy that helps me manage my time named Chris Pina. But so Chris and Tracy helped me really navigate through that terrain, but it's, it's busy. It's a lot. I mean, I'd have meetings and um, whether they're on zoom or in person and um, so, mm-hmm. you know, just preparing and, and strategizing and planning, being careful that I'm being specific and relevant to the different, the two different cultures that I serve in because there's certainly different churches and they're totally different churches, these two churches, Eagles Nest is more conservative, almost a fundamental, uh, you know, theological kind of vibe. Theologically, it's kind of fundamental. And then CCC is more Pentecostal kind of full gospel. So to navigate in both those arenas is challenging, but it's what God put on me and in me. So I do it. So a day in the life, though, you know, of course, then I got, I'm 53 with a seven-year-old, so we got a second grader. So I'm playing Mr. Mom, taking Bethany to school at times. Sometimes she rides with Tracy because Tracy, her mom, she works there at Bethany School in high school uh, section. So I'm either taking Bethany to school, I'm helping her with homework, I'm jumping on Zoom calls, I'm planning set lists. I lead worship at these churches, but not all the time. I sing kind of 
in the midst of or in, in a team environment. So I'm not the only person up there with the microphone. So, and that's a whole nother conversation we can have because I'm, I'm, I'm fighting against and helping people to embrace the fact that we need to move beyond personality driven uh, environments as it pertains to what we do in corporate worship. But it's it, it, the trend that has been prevalent over the past 20 years has been to hire people like me who do music for a living and are recording artists. The trend has become marked to hire people like me in the local church setting. So, which is okay, but it can have its cons because then what happens is a lot of times the environment becomes hinged on the personality. And then when people like me are not at play, people feel like the bottom's falling out from things and it's not as effective, but that's not true. A lot of times it's because people like me don't take time to develop and train people that are, you know, in the environment of creative arts in that church. And so then when we're gone chasing the appeal of the industry, then, Mm the local setting kind of can suffer. So, but that's a whole nother thing. You asked me what a day in the life is and I'm rambling. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's actually a really good segue because I want to hear from you for somebody who both on the ministry and industry side of music that you can really speak on just the evolution and like just where things are right now, just from your vantage point, you're serving in the local church and you are actively still doing music. So I just really want to know from your perspective, what do you feel like is the pulse of gospel music both, if we can just even get it in this one conversation, but what do you feel like is the pulse in both the ministry and the industry side? Because song selection has got to be interesting these days for you. Um, And who's inspiring you? Oh my goodness. What a loaded question. Um, okay. So I started in this business in the industry in the nineties. Okay. So, um, it's been a long time for me. Um, I started, I started making records. Well, I started as a background singer. Okay. And I started my whole career and and environment was, was, was in Christian contemporary music. Okay. So I didn't start as a gospel singer. I started singing background for Michael W. Smith and Michael Card and Amy Grant and jars of clay and clay cross. And, you know, mm-hmm. and then some, I was in Nashville. So I, and I was a session singer and I did like over 700 sessions in a period of four years. So I, but I did, and I was Crazy. very busy because I did, <laughs> I did all the sessions. I did country. I did pop. I did gospel. I did Christian. So, and I, it's funny because I tease like even some of the my contemporaries back then, you know, like Gerard and Javon uh, and Leanne and, and people like that. See, they were too Holy Ghost field. They wouldn't do the country and the pop sessions because they were like, nah, we're just doing gospel and Christian. Go ahead. Because I did all of them. I to, to leave it all. It's more work for me. So I was doing all of them. So I did all those yes. country, pop, Christian, R&B gospel then i was i was doing a lot of ad work which they, it, we call it jingles but it was ad work mm-hmm. that they don't like the, the jingle the word jingle can be uh, uh, offensive in that uh, arena in that in that market so they call them ads so i did mm-hmm. a lot of ad work for this company called whistler's music so i would go and sing their demos for their um for their uh commercials you know the ideas that they were doing for different people um and then 
uh, back then, uh, there were there, like what Benson Records and Word Records at the labels. They had a, de- mm-hmm. a, a songwriting department. OK, so I would be hired to go into the label. I go over to the building, go into the label at like eight or nine in the morning. And I would not leave the building till like six and seven at night. Sometimes, sometimes nine. You know what I'd be doing all those hours demoing songs. So I would go and because they had staff mm. writers. So I would go and demo songs for writers all day long. Wow. I didn't know that. And, I, and, and, and we praise God for the increase that would come from from, <laughs> yes. from doing such a thing. But nowadays, that's not, I mean, we have writing sessions and stuff. It's different now. But back in the day, the labels had a lot of writers that on them staff. And so I would go and, and demo songs all day. Just did just one song, one writer mm. after the other. And so. Um, I was really busy. Um, and again, I was in a CCM marketplace. I was a, a background singer, but then when I signed a record deal with EMI gospel, then I kind of got, you know, automatically the default was for me to become a gospel singer, Fred Hammond and Cedric Caldwell mm-hmm. and Tommy Sims produced my album. So that kind of threw me into this urban gospel arena that's cool because, Hey, I'm black and that, that was cool to do that. But I had a lot of relationships with people that didn't look like me. And so it was a little strange for me um, because here I am, everything before I start recording is one style of music, but then as far as what I do personally, and then when I start making albums, it's black gospel. So that's how I became a gospel mm. singer. Then I did Angie Winans re uh, kind of reworked this Luther Vandross song called so amazing, bro. Bro, that's the one. <laughs> that's the one. So then, but I still fussed at her because she's the reason why people today are calling me Luther Vandross of gospel. Yes, because I, I redid that song, and that's just that just it just made that's where I, and these coin phrases we got to get on in the podcast about <laughs> these all these titles we give people. Are we we not gonna go down the list? The Prince of Praise, the Rose of Gospel, <laughs> the Luther Vandross of Gospel. Oh my um, God! Yeah, it's just. I, I, oh, let me give a shout out to, to to Tony and Keisha. See, this is trust. This is their line. Trust the ah. process. Okay. But uh, but anyway, uh, this is Mark's platform. So uh, he didn't he didn't give me permission to do that. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> uh, Tony and Keisha, I want a t shirt. Okay, thank you. Right, right, absolutely. So. Um, so I will tell you that the climate and, and, and the pulse back then was way different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it seemed that things were a bit more maybe compartmentalized, like people to me, and this isn't a diss to anybody nowadays, but to me back then, people uh, were a tad bit more, um, there was, I say, I say the creativity was more vast or it was more plentiful. Okay. Cause to me, and I've said this on my social media nowadays, to me, a lot of times things can tend to sound a little bit recycled and in my opinion, sound alike. Mm -hmm. So I always say a lot of times now the music, it just sounds like one big long song Mm -hmm. because everything just seems to have the same core progression or same, even the idea lyrically or whatever. Um, And so, uh, but back then to me, it just seemed a little different. It seemed like you had lots of male artists, but they all sounded different. Me, Montreal, Derrick, uh, 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 Marvin Sapp, Smokey Norfolk, Donnie McClurk, all the BB, whoever. Uh, but they all sounded, we, you could, you knew who we all were separately. See, female artists, there was CC, there was Yolanda, there was, there was, well, Tamala Man was kind of with Kirk Franklin back then, but then there's, but there was Tamala and, uh, 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 
you know, Nicole Mullen, whoever, there were female artists and they all sounded different. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then you had male groups, men of standard. Uh, you had female, you have virtue, yeah. uh, uh, anointed. So there were groups. So there was all these different expressions. And to me, everybody sounded different. Everybody had their lane as opposed to now where there are a, there are varied, you know, expressions, but, uh, but, and maybe I think more now than even everybody sounding alike, I think praise and worship, the genre of praise and worship or worship music is very prevalent now. So that expression is in, in the industry is inundated with that style of music. Back then, Mark, it, it was so many styles. I mean, you, I'll use myself. You could say I was urban contemporary. Or people call me the Luther Vandross, the gospel mixed with a little praise and worship. Then you had you had praise and worship artists and you had choirs, Donald Lawrence, Ricky and, and Richard Smallwood. Then you had female artists. Cece had her vibe. Yolanda had her vibe, you know, and so in the Clark sisters, whoever, Karen Clark Sheard and Dorinda. So even though those were, they were all female artists, but they didn't all do praise and worship. They had, yeah. they, they operated in different styles of music. So that's probably what to me, um, render the sound a bit more individual or, or varied. Mm. Okay. So now though, stylistically, it seems that everybody wants to record or do, or most people that are recording are recording worship music. Mm. Um, and so therefore maybe that's why things tend to sound like one big long record. Mm. Uh, but, but the pulse now to me is, is way different. There's so many, different artists. There's so many, I mean, there's way more artists out here because now with independence being the way yeah. back then, it's like you had to sign a record deal. It was almost like spoon fed the industry spoon fed music and content to the listener. Nowadays, everything is direct to the consumer. So yeah. people can just get on social media. Uh, it don't matter who you are. You can be Jane Doe and decide you want to release music and put it out on TuneCore or CD baby. You don't need a label. Um, record labels are almost a thing of the past. Oh, the, the new label is the producers. So, um, if you're an artist and you want to partner with a really good producer that can help you get your music out back in the day, though, you know, it was the thing to sign a record deal. So you need, cause you needed a, a budget of like $150,000 to do what the records I used to do. Mm. But nowadays you can do the same albums for 20,000. I mean, because the, the, the budgets aren't as big. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, so the pulse is very different because I think it's much more free for all. It's much more, um, it's like unrelegated, unregulated or whatever. It just, it seems like people, anybody can make music now and just put it out. So it, it and that's all competing with whoever back in the day, again, spoon fed, mm -hmm. they would, they would, the radio would tell you what you were going to listen to because there wasn't no internet radio. So, so all the radio announcers were, they were king on the hill because they decided what you're going to listen to, what you're going to hear. And there was no going to buy a single from Darwin. You either got my whole album for 1895 or you wouldn't get nothing. Yes. 1898 or you weren't getting anything. Mm -hmm. So um, nowadays you can cherry pick, yep. you know, because of how things are set up digitally, you know, and music is basically free now. So that the pulse is way different back then. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of it depended on sales and, and yada, yada. But nowadays music is free. I mean, it's basically free. So you gotta, that's why you have a lot of artists that are trying to reinvent themselves and they're, they're going to try to get the 
gig or job at a at a local church because they feel you know they got to make money and and the only way you really can make money now is if you're going to go on a, some kind of tour or if you're a huge songwriter and your songs happen to do very well but the pulse is different back then much more controlled environment much more um but I would say a much more varied offering of giftings or styles. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's a free for all. But even with the liberty that is present now, people are tending to uh, back up on the level of creativity. And they just everybody's just kind of doing the same thing. So I hope that I mean, I guess that's just what it is. I hope it changes, though, because I think. There's nobody like us, like black people. We can't, and not, and, and everybody knows that my heart's reconciled to, to people of all colors, but there's something to be said about the special anointing and ability, natural ability that is on African-American and people of color. There's a, there's, we can, we just have been given that grace and that supernatural ability to perform very high and at our level of skill. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it is kind of irritating that people would, uh, it seems that 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 level of expression, which nobody else can duplicate, has been sort of watered down and we tend to play it safe. But so I, that's another conversation, too. What's up, family? We're taking a quick pause from this episode to make sure you're connected. If what you've heard so far has been helpful to you, I want you to know there's plenty more where that came from. But it's easy to miss an episode if you're not connected. So please head over to ConvoRoom.com to find out how you can subscribe and not miss a single moment. Now, back to the episode. Well, let me ask you this, though. Who who would inspire you now? Because obviously you are in a spot to where you're serving locally and you're hearing what could be like, oh, wow, a lot of these songs, expressions sound alike. How do I pick from this pool of music um, that I'm trying to find, you know, theologically rich stuff? I'm trying to find things that are going to be captivative, at least to an audience, stuff that people can sing along to. Um, What is it? That inspires you right now to where when you hear a song, you hear somebody's album, you're like, oh, wow, this is something that we need to do at Eagle's Nest or at CCC. So you're meddling. And <laughs> I'm just so, asking the question. And, and you're asking and you know, I'm going to answer the question, Mark. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm going to answer the question. This is why I'm uh, so glad you're here. Oh my God. Go uh, ahead. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, well, I'm not inspired by it a lot. I love a lot of the music that's here to so say I'm inspired by it. I don't know which is why I'm choosing to, re- and it ain't, and then not say there's not good music. There's amazing music. Well, this is my opinion. Okay. It's not represent the opinion of Mark Patterson and this wonderful podcast. This is Darwin talk. So, I do feel that uh, I'm not terribly inspired. Okay. So, cause I feel like some of the stuff is way overproduced mm. and that's great because then it's good. You can walk on the treadmill to it and it's got lots of bells and whistles and da 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 da. And the vocals are just so pristine and so perfect. Mm. And da 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 da. I get it. That's great. Um, some of the content, me as a worship pastor slash worship leader, some of the content that 
is available is too much. I don't think it's it's a lot of it's suitable for the corporate setting. Let me tell you why. There's too much of a learning curve. When you are set to lead 2,000, 3,000, even 500 people in a corporate worship sense, corporate song service, Okay, Uh, because I can't really lead anybody's worship per se. I mean, but because we know I we know I believe worship is more about relating to God than anything else. than it is music. Music is just a small part of it. But if I call myself going to lead your worship, that doesn't make any sense. I'm in relationship with Tracy and my wife for almost 30 years. We've been married. Nobody can lead that exchange but Mm. the two of us so and really at the end of the day it's me leading it so i can't if you call yourself in relationship with god it's you relating to god i can't lead that process for you so to say that i lead your worship is really erroneous but i get it because that's the what we use for the common vernacular i lead worship so i get it i'm not trying to go into that but um so i'll just call it a song service for now but a corporate Mm -hmm. song service a lot of the songs Dude, this, 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 the lyrically, they're just, it's too much. Okay. So because the learning curve is that people, you want people to engage. All right. So then in, the, in the corporate worship sense, we want people to engage and sing the songs. And during the praise and worship, we want them to involve themselves and not just be spectators and just we want them to sing and engage and add their worship corporately. You know, but a lot of times people can't do that, Mark, because they're too busy reading the screens. We got to, you got a 15,000 words in one verse. So, and then what happens is maybe if you do the song often enough, then it becomes a part of the DNA of the setting that you're serving in. So then people, the learning curve kind of lessens and then people don't have to read the screen as much. But a lot of times that doesn't happen because we're so busy trying to introduce new music all the time. Mm -hmm. So we don't repeat the songs often enough for them to get in the fiber and the DNA of the, of the local setting. Mm -hmm. So by the time people do kind of learn the song, we're on to trying to introduce something new because we got to catch up and do all the top 40 music that's out here because there's so much music. Mm -hmm. So we got to go through every album that's released every Friday and figure out what we're going to add to our set list, what we need to do. And it's so funny because we just talked about this at the church I work with in New York, that we're deciding that we're going to have like a, a, it's like seasonal set list, like maybe for the next 90 days, Mark, we'll Mm -hmm. have maybe a set of songs that we do for the next 90 days. And then we're, we're not releasing, we're not introducing any new music. Mm-hmm. We're just going to get some music that we feel comfortable with over the next 60 to 90 days. And we'll repeat those songs. And those, that'll be our, our, our soundtrack for that setting for 90 days. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and then after that, we'll start incorporating more. Well, let me tell you something at about in 90 days, probably after about the third time hearing that song, People, the screens will be there with the lyrics, maybe for somebody who just doesn't know it. But for the most part, the the remnant of people that come to that setting, they're going to already know that music. They're going to know the song. So guess what? The learning curve and them having to pay attention and read and access one part of their brain to read the, the words on the screen, that will go away because they will know the song and it'll be in them. And then they can really engage at another level. And then that to me, that helps and that enhances the corporate advance where everybody's going somewhere at the same time. It's not that here we are, the worship team singing and introducing new stuff and, and the audience is just left there to be like, wow, okay, let me just listen. Or, 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 or Well, sometimes they'll try to read along, but then for the most part, people don't do that. They just kind of stand and kind of watch and just, you know, and they may, you know, lift their hands and, and engage at, at, at a certain point of maybe hearing the chorus of the song, but so um so I'm 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 less than inspired a lot of times because a lot of the content, a lot of lyrically, a lot of the content 
it's 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 too much. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's and, and yeah. it's it's overkill on the lyrics. I think sometimes songwriters, sometimes this happens with people writing community, mm-hmm. and so you're trying to incorporate everybody's idea lyrically. Mm-hmm. So because nowadays some songs you look at and if you look at the credits, there's like 16 writers on one Be song. Be quiet, Darwin. <laughs> <laughs> So, and, and you know what, and, and, I, and I can tell that there's 16 writers because it's like they took all 16 people's ideas and put them in there lyrically. It's yeah. too much. Yeah, yeah. And so, and I can't, I can't use that. It's not effective mm-hmm. in a corporate sense, unless it, it, it becomes a part of a song that people know. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and the way that you get them to really know it is to repeat it, you yeah. know, a little you know repetitive with it, but sometimes uh, we don't feel like it's you're being productive if you repeat a song, which I don't mm-hmm. know where that came from. You got to repeat a song so that it becomes, you know, people when they hear it, like, oh my goodness, this is a great song. You know, I want to, you know, worship with it and, and to it or whatever. So, inspired. Let me see. You know what I play probably every day mm-hmm. is BB and CC Wine. Yo, um, yes, I still listen to lots. And now CC Wine's new album, I absolutely love. Um, called Never Lost, I think it is, but. I love some songs she has on there. Very sick. Fire, fire, fall on us. Stunning revival. Fire. Love that. Yeah. Bethany, my seven-year-old, sings it walking through the house every day. Mm. But now, this is no diss to this song I'm about to sing, but it'd be much easier for her to walk around going, fire, fire. Okay, then she would, you know, Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters. Love that song because now I know it. Mm-hmm. When I first heard it, I was like, oh, this is a lot of work. I got to, you know. So, mm-hmm. but, but listen, fire. Mm-hmm. Like you did on the day of Pentecost. You know, that yeah. simple, you know. Jesus bright as the morning star. I mean, it's just simple. Mm-hmm. How beautiful you are to me. Um, there's another young man. I kind of like his, some of his, uh, 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 Rich Tolbert. Okay. Mm-hmm. So his album to me, um, kind of struck a nerve in a good way. Um, a couple songs on there that I think are, are great. Um, Phil Thompson, this song, My Worship, I think is amazing. Mm-hmm. These are songs that I'm inspired by. Todd Galbraith, the song he has, Lord, You Are Good. You know, some people may feel like theologically some of this stuff is not ethereal and deep, you know, but, mm, you know, that's another issue I take. You know, I think songwriters need to um, err on the side of balance when, you know, when writing some of these songs that you're purporting to be corporate expressions, okay? Because... Mm-hmm. He may be the um, culmination of all that is psychologically sound and, uh, you know, there's nothing surreptitious about your grace. Okay. (laughs) That may be your expression to God. Mm -hmm. Amen. But when I'm trying to get 3,000 people to come around an idea and an expression Nine times out of 10, 2,000 of those three are going to relate to some of, you know, the inner workings of your relationship personally with the Lord. So I think songwriters need to be mindful of that. And when they're writing these songs for corporate worship, then they need to kind of uh, try their best to to center themselves into 
an idea or an expression that the people that they want to reproduce these songs that they would say or can say, or maybe it would be some general idea that people would have vertically as they relate to God. So, um, but I'm not inspired by a lot out here, which is one of the reasons I I used to say that to the Lord. And he'd said, he checked me like, well, why don't you, as they say, be the chain, whatever they say, you know? So I said, okay, I'm going to record an album. I'll record 10 songs. I'm going to call it set list. I'm calling it set list because I feel I'm called majorly and where I find myself leading worship for the majority of the part is in African-American churches. And so uh, I think I'm going to, I'm going to record 10 to 12 songs that will live well in those environments. It really more of a tool for uh, worship leaders um, and a resource for worship teams um, so that, you know, here's 10 songs that I feel work and, 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 and will work in any setting, but for the Mm -hmm. most part, um, I think they'll work in churches where there are a majority of people of color because that's where I find myself the most. Mm-hmm. And as you know, I hang out with all kinds of people, but at the work I do in the local church, uh, it usually is with the people of color. So, um, God, I hate to say I'm not inspired by, cause I could, of course I'm inspired. I just probably needed a little more time to think about who, but I did name some people. Yes. Um, I think. Something that I want to dive into, because I feel like someone who might be listening to this is watching worship leaders like yourself who have existed both on the industry side and the ministry side. And I think Mm -hmm. there's a conversation that just needs to be had about money because there is um, and I literally had a conversation yesterday about this with another fellow worship leader and. There is this trend where I feel like we can equate the success of our um, of our position with what we can achieve financially. And sometimes those two are not equal. But I feel like there has to be some level of advice on what to expect when you step into one, the industry side or the ministry side. For the 20 somethings, even the 30 somethings, because we see this trend where as soon as somebody has a single, they're draped in Gucci. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, Or, um, you know, it's it's like this this trend to where you can't really align what really happens financially with what we see on the gram. And some people can be doing very well for themselves. Um, But also, this is a phrase I got from you. There are seasons of feast and famine. So how do you, as somebody who's weathered probably many storms, uh, what would you say to somebody who's on the front end about how do you manage your money? How are you saying yes and no to commitments? How are you able to balance what you're able to bring home and what you're able to commit to? Ooh, good, Mark. Jeez, it's like you're answering the questions in, in your in your question. Um, that's a super good question. I think that obviously we need to be good stewards over the, any money that God allows us to make, and I think that people, if you're in the music business at this point in this dispensation of time, if you're doing music to make money, you're in the wrong business. I mean, it's just, it's not some lucrative, I mean, back in the day, maybe, um, but nowadays, again, uh, 
industry-wise, there's just there's not a lot of money to be made because of how music is distributed and how it's consumed. So uh, it's hard to say that it's a lucrative thing to do. If you're doing it, it's probably because you're called to do it and you really have a great passion towards it. And you and the way that you make money now in the industry is that you're standing in front of people performing. And and I say performing loosely. Um for somebody who just might be just a tad bit religious, I mean ministry. You can say whatever you want to say, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'm saying if you're if you're if you're if you have an itinerant ministry, um, that's probably about the only way you're going to make money. Unless, of course, you're a monster songwriter and lots of well-to-do artists are performing your music. Um, but for the most part, um, the way you make money on an industry side of things is is most artists, they're going to have to have um, access to platforms at a local church. That's why it always kills me, just as a sidebar, when people say that they're a worship artist or they're a, a, a church artist, and then they release music that is totally like not something that will rest well or perform well in the local church setting. So many people send us music and they're like, I want to get my artist to come or I want to come to your church. And, do, and and then we're like, okay, cool. We'll send it, you know, send the music, especially if it's something that we don't already know. It's like, well, what are we going to, where are we going, where are you going to perform this music? Okay. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. unless again, you, you performed it with the distinct purpose of people just kind of riding in their car, listening to it. It's easy listening or it's, but some people actually say they purport that they have recorded music that's going to be reproduced in a local church. Mm-hmm. Then you hear it and it's like, where are you going to sing this? So I always tell people like, look, if this is what you want to do, if you want to come to churches like churches I partner with or other churches, then you got to do music that's palatable to those settings. Because some of it, again, it's so ultra produced and it's so inaccessible is what I say mm-hmm. that. You don't have a home for it. So you ain't going to make any money. So there's a practical side to this, Mark. You got to be, people have to be practical when they're thinking about what they're doing. If you're recording music, who's going to sing the music? Who's going to invite you in to sing the music? Because then that's how you're going to uh, have substance financially uh, by getting an honorarium or fee or whatever you want to call it. Uh, churches to bring you in. And and, 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 and then even song, even if they're not getting invited then churches, even if they haven't invited you yet, they're going to want to reproduce the song that you sang. Mm-hmm. And then somebody like me is going to want to lead it and worship. And, and then, but ultimately it's like, man, well, we wish we could have, you know, Mark to come because Darwin's doing his music, but then it's always a treat to have the actual artist to come and do it. But people don't record music nowadays. A lot of times that will, um, you know, uh, translate into invites mm-hmm. and people inviting you in. Which is what's going to help uh, help you know you have an income, mm-hmm. uh, a gainful employment, if you will, um, or gainful income uh, as a, as an artist. So mm-hmm. um, it's 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 hard to to make money when the music that you've released isn't something that people are going to want to reproduce or something that people are going to want to invite you in to sing, because then you're going to be sitting at the crib Mm -hmm. and you ain't getting no invitations. And so then either you got an eight to five job or or you're doing something else, you know, uh, to make money. So let's just be real practical about anything. If it's not practical, it's not godly. I always say so in a practical sense, we got to be mindful when we're recording music, that it's music that people are going to want to hear again. Either they're going to want to sing it again, which is going to, help your sense of recognition or, 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 or 
to help people know or want to ask where'd that come from, mm-hmm. which would make people you know, go stream it or, 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 or purchase it. So that's one way of income or it makes people want to invite you in to sing the music. So that's another way, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and then in, in ministry wise, um, since 2000, I've been partnered with the church full time. So I've, that I've, I've, I've worked full time for a church since 2000. So mm-hmm. I never have subscribed to just what well, I had, I did for a couple of years for basically my whole career. I've always been partnered with a church. So I never have had to depend on just the income I would receive from going out to the Holy ghost conference, whatever year it was and being mm-hmm. a guest psalmist or whatever. I never have just depended on that. I've always been partnered with the local church. There's some artists that are like me that have been doing that as long as I have, but I was one of the first to really uh, kind of be partner with a local church. Byron Cage and Judy McAllister, Kirk Carr, a lot of us, we've been working for churches a long time. It has become more of a trend now that a lot of artists, because the music industry sort of crashed and burned in front of all of our eyes, the end of the business part of it, right. where you can't really make money out here because who's touring? You know, um, so many popular artists, which we could name, we won't, but that have launched tours, have come off the tour halfway through or just a fourth of the way through because people don't buy tickets like that anymore. And so they got to come off the road, you know. So um, now we're in a pandemic and don't look like we're getting out of it anytime soon. So then, you know, unless you are Kanye West, you're not packing out the <laughs> Georgia Stadium two times in one week. <laughs> yes. But you know, people are not large crowds. That's a thing of the past, basically. So, but I've been doing it for a long time. Again, it's a trend now. So you got everybody like, oh my goodness, I want to, you know, partner with the local church, you know, and I always encourage pastors not to be hating on these people because it's almost like the prodigal son, you know, people are really uh, coming back Mm -hmm. to the local church because they realize, hey, you know, hey, I've been, I left and I chased this pill of industry, but that ain't, that ain't that's not yielding anything nowadays. Mm-hmm. So you got a lot of people that are circling back, coming back to the local church, trying to find a home there. And praise God, a lot of people have. But um, but that's kind of how that's been the crux of my income has been partnering with local churches. Tracy and I, my wife, we kind of believe in living just a tad bit beneath our means, which is what helps us. There's um, I know you speak about people with some of the brands and fancy cars. And, 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 and at one point of our lives, you know, we did that, you know, because we could afford it. So if you saw when those days, when you saw me, you know, at new birth and I was driving around in my Range Rovers and all that, well, it's because I could afford to, I could afford it. Okay. And, and now God gets the glory on, on, on an infinity that I drive because guess what? So that's what we can <laughs> <Yes>. afford. So, <laughs> So, and I, and I want to range over so bad, Mark, but I'm like, God grant me the desire of my heart because I want it again. But, (laughs) but I will tell you that if you read a book called a millionaire, the millionaire next door, then the, the admonishment is that the people with the most money, they live beneath just a tad bit beneath their means so that, uh, you know, you're able to save and you're able to put, you know, some money away for a rainy day. But most people, they live paycheck to paycheck. Uh, because they're nine times out of 10, they're overextended, you know, and because you get 50 cent over lunch money and it's like, I got to go get this, as you say, the latest Gucci or the latest, whatever, whatever. And I got all those kind of shoes, but trust me, most shoes I have that are in that price range, 
I've had them for 10 years. It's because I got them when I could afford them. And half the time, I probably could have afforded three pair of them, but I still just got one when I got them. That was me living just a tiny bit beneath my means. And so I encourage people to have a financial advisor as well. And some people feel like with a financial advisor, that just comes when you're rich or when you got a bunch of money. That's, that's not so. I think that we got to uh, kind of mm-hmm. conduct ourselves based on where it is we're going. Um and and not always where we are. So I think financial advisors are important. Mm-hmm. They can tell you, uh, give you ideas about how to save, how to get on a budget. Um, even people with the most money, I think they should be on a budget because then you're going to just empty, you're going to have empty spending. And then you're going to look up and just, you've wasted money in places where you could have saved it. Um, but that's good that you're asking that question because I think a lot of times us artists, man, we are just... We're broke. That's why you have artists, not to name anybody, but especially with the way the music business used to be, where people would sign deals and you never, ever recoup that money with the record labels. Um, yeah. I mean, I started recording with EMI back in the 90s, and I'm still not recouped from those records. I'm starting to get some residual mm-hmm. income, but I'm still paying some of it back. It's just, it's crazy because then they would pay the, use these big budgets. Mm-hmm. $150,000 just to record an album. And then if you don't, if you don't pay for it, by the time you make the second album, something called cross collateralization, if you owe $50,000 from the first album, they're going to tack that on to the new budget. And it just keeps getting tacked on and tacked on. So you never really come out of the red. That's why you get so many artists nowadays that people mm. are 70 in their 70s still gigging, you know, not to name anybody, but especially in R&B, you know, you, you look at some of these artists, I'm like, man, and praise God, they can. But at that point in my life, I'm like, I want to be singing because I want to. You know, I don't want to have to right, stand up right. and lead worship at 65. I just don't want to do that because mm-hmm. hopefully um, Tracy and I will be financially sober enough that, you know, it's not a I got to you know, have a job at a local church where I have to take a, you know, go to sing at, you know, such and such conference, because if I don't, I can't pay my bills. And that's how, that's how, unfortunately, uh, that's how it happens a lot. And some people want to get on gospel artists. Like I used to be really hard on people that didn't pass the baton and I didn't see people kind of grooming others. Or I'm like, why are you so old and still doing this? Let bring the younger along and pass the baton. Sometimes they can't afford to pass the baton. So they have people are 60, mm, they're 60 heavy. and 70 and having to compete for the next concert or compete with the promoters about who's going to get brought in for the concert. You know, instead of me being able to say, I mm. really encourage you to invite Mark Patterson because he's a part of the new generation and the new sound and new expression. And let's have him come in and, and take pick up where we left off. Well, a lot of times we can't afford to do that. If people in my age group and older, because the way things were set up in the past. We weren't set up. They weren't set up in our favor financially and that. And also we didn't handle our finances properly. And so we got to we got to be in the game still. So I can't pass no baton. I'm running next to you, Mark. You know, you're my you're one of my mentees. Yes. But I'm competing with you for the work. Mm. That's honestly, I think that probably explains so much when even you see people who you're like, you love their music. Well, you love their previous music or what they've done previously with their art. 
And then you think to yourself, like, why are you putting out music <laughs> right now? Like, what are you doing like today? Like, do a greatest hits. Like, we just want to <laughs> sing your old stuff. And it's not to say that you can't come up with anything amazing, but like, I I don't need a new album from you if you have given me hit after Absolutely. hit after hit but, after but, but, hit. But, 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 we, you know. Not all the time, but but in many instances, because yeah. I've had some conversations, I just can't say who, but yeah. I mean, in many instances, these people are doing that at a certain people of a certain age are still recording, still touring, yeah. still call themselves touring even because they have to, to survive. So mm. it's, it's it, you would think that they were at this point of their journey, they'd be like just preferring the next or kind of bringing up and raising up the next generation of artists or whatever. But they can't. They can't afford it. They, I gotta. I gotta get out here, and Thanks. you know, I can't recommend Mark for a date. I need that date. You know, I need this. I need Pastor yeah. Johnson to invite me in for you know this conference. You know, Mark got to get in where he can get in because I need. I <laughs> yes. got. I got to get my coin too. And I just think that a lot of that's because we're not as financially sober as we could and should be. And, and, and not to point the finger at anybody, because I'm still we're still adjusting and, and we're still making sure that we cross our T's and dot our I's in this area, Tracy and I. So I don't mean to point the finger at anybody because uh, my financial advisor would get on here and say, you say what again? And you, and, and, and you, <laughs> not yeah, the look at the you glass. Bought, <laughs> and you bought how many pair of frames in the last month? That you didn't need. Yes. So I ain't trying to say I got it all together. Yeah, I yes. ain't buying Gucci, but I still I've spent it where I want to spend it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's yes. just man, I'm I feel like we're such family that I'm just rambling. I I'm not talking in soundbite or anything. No. I think this is really helpful because what I I really this the whole purpose of this of this platform is to really just lessen the learning curve yeah. for people that are looking at people and they're saying, wow, I really want to be where they are. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just don't know the inner workings of what it's actually like. And I think while it can be very enticing to just see someone's story and be like, oh yeah. Like if I just, if I, if I can just do this, I can yes. have this. Um, or if I know, if I know the right people, if I get in this door, then the life that I'm seeing where I can, I can do ministry, I can have enough money and not be broke, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, it, it, yes, it can happen. But to your, to your point, if you're not sober with your decision-making, you can squander yes. what you yes. think you want because you're so hungry for well, a deal. You're hungry and for just to an opportunity. Interject. Um, now, let me just say, there is a thing where you can work it and, and, and because of who you know and because of whatever, it can happen real fast for you. Quick up. Let me tell you something. Mm -hmm. Proverbs 20 and 21. An inheritance is gained too quickly in the beginning is not a blessing in the end. And so a lot of times in this microwave dispensation, everybody wants something really fast and, and it can happen like that. But see, for me, and I've told you this, Mark, years, I always pray for longevity. Lord, please let me, as long as I feel like I'm called to do this, please let me have the ear of the listener. Let me not be irrelevant. Mark, mm -hmm. I haven't recorded an album in 12 years. 
Okay. And I praise God for Mm. still having a platform to do and to say what it is I say, do what it is I do, sing what it is I sing and, and to minister the way I minister. And it doesn't fall on, you know, death ears. You know, it's, so I, I praise God for the longevity. I've been in this a long time, but I asked for that in the beginning and God, I don't know where I found that scripture, but it's like, God just is always impresses that upon me. Like, Hey, it's okay that it didn't happen for you overnight or, you know, but some, for some people, it does happen like that. Mm. But most time, not all the time either. Mm-hmm. You can't make a blanket statement, but for the most part, when it happens for people really fast and, and it's an overnight success, what happens? It's a one, they're a one hit wonder and they're chasing that one song for the rest mm-hmm. of their career, you know, um, and that, that's mm-hmm. not a cool thing to do, but sometimes it's because people have worked it so much. You know, um, it's so funny because somebody asked me the other day, they were like, how many followers do you have on Instagram? I was like, you know, I, sometimes I get embarrassed to say, I mean, I got 62,000 followers, which is a lot of people. But I mean, I feel like some people I look at and I'm, some of my peers, if, if I say I'm not going to name anybody one more time, this sounds so shady to say that. Uh, but I'm just I just don't feel like it's fair to name people if they're not here to defend themselves. But I just refuse yeah. to go out and pay marketing companies for for followers. I probably could have. 2,000, 200,000, 300,000 by now. But a lot of, even my, a lot of people I know, you know, they do, you know, pay marketing companies to enhance their followers and their, and their likes and cause, and, and, and it works. Okay. But I don't want that. I'm like, I don't care. I mean, just, just look, I want organic. The people that I have that are friends and followers of mine at 62,000 real people. Of course, you're going to have now these Bitcoin, you have mm-hmm. all this robot stuff, of course, but for the most part, yeah. I just have let it happen organically. I'm very satisfied with the number of people I'm able to reach and interact with. Um, but I wanted to say to you that it really can happen by people working it. And, and, and because of who you know, you can straight up. But I would mm-hmm. argue that the Bible is true. And it's in an inheritance that is gained so quickly. In the end, it's not a blessing. Mm. Um, as we wrap, I'm curious to know from you if there was what you feel like you could give as an inheritance to the next generation of worship pastors, worship artists. Um, what is it if you could box it up, you know, and just say if there was this thing Darwin gave me and it wasn't a record. It was just a piece of paper with two sentences to live by. What would those two sentences be? Well, the two sentences will be what my mentor and my spiritual dad gave me, which is the definition of worship, which is a worshiper, someone who's intimately acquainted with God and has daily relationship with him. I would just encourage people to really embrace worship as their relationship with God and just to to do everything in their power to build upon that and to meet, because, you know, I call my company heart art and i think that we need to be about the business of perfecting both the heart and art of what we do i think we focus so long on art um Mm -hmm. and the heart has suffered okay so and we know even in our natural body the heart is kind of like that central force of life you know and so i think some people uh, i think in the industry a lot of times not industry but just in the body of christ even um the heart muscle is kind of weakened. So mm. it's kind of like we have spiritual congestive heart failure. Um, and the heart function is a little weak. Uh, and mm. so then if the heart's function is weak, 
and I speak of this because it's just something I've walked through, th- then the, the blood is not, uh, you know, appropriately and effectively pumped through the body. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if us worship leaders don't have a real heart encounter, then we're, we're the ones that are pumping this blood of worship through the mm-hmm. body of Christ and this blood of presence. Okay. And if we're, if our heart is weak, then the blood, we're going to the, the body of Christ is going to be anemic. Mm. So Heavy. I would say to people to really shore up your heart. And the second thing, Mark, that I believe the people was to just make sure that your goal, it's a, it's all about this goal because a lot of times in church, because of whether our pastor is giving us goals or we're in staff meeting and people are saying, this is the goal for this week. And that and all of that's great because you got to plan and you got to be practical and I get it. Okay. Marketing, branding, lights, camera, action. But I think if it doesn't land on presence, what have we really done and what are we really doing? So I just encourage people to be people of presence and not just performance and people of, of presence and not just branding and not just marketing. Because, again, the dispensation of time we live in, then those are the things that are dictating our moves and our motives. You know, how does it market? How does it market better than the church down the street? Or how can we better ourselves or model ourselves after Jane Doe or John Doe's church because they're doing it the best and they have the best marketing videos and they got the best, whatever I get it. But let me tell you something. If it doesn't land on presence, I don't care how many people you got coming or they driving as the preachers say, how many people you driving, how many, you know, what, what your, what your, what your social media looks like, you know, uh, 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 how much ear candy you're talking about. If this, if your ministry is not landing on presence and especially worship leaders, you know, mm-hmm. let people, other people worry about the branding and marketing and all that. Let these people, that's their job. Maybe that's what they're called to do. Let them worry about that. You just be concerned mm. that presence flows through what you do. And that when you are the vessel in action and at the plate to swing that bat, that with the home run you hit lands the stadium on presence. Mm. So that's, and, and, and I'm telling you, sometimes one of the things that hinders us from landing on presence is what we spoke about earlier, because some of the songs that we're erecting, you know, even the origin of these songs and sometimes where they originated, it just wasn't out of a place of real relationship. And so when you kind of regurgitate these ideas, there's nothing really there because it didn't really originate from any place of real relationship. It's just some transaction of writing a song. So I'm saying doesn't matter the song. Sometimes it's more the vessel. So if you get your heart in the right place um, and you're being real intentional about being a person of presence and authority and not just some, as we say, anointing, you know, because that nowadays a lot of that can be mimicked and people know the right things to say and do to come across as having some level of anointing. But what separates the men from the boys is when there's an authoritative presence which ultimately is the presence of the living God. And we transcend beyond what we can see, hear, feel, and touch. You know, when you're in that type of presence, because mm-hmm. lives are radically changed and it, 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 invade, it invades the environment to the point that any agenda that was planned, you almost feel foolish to try to execute that agenda because presence trumps everything, but it mm-hmm. requires a vessel that's open to that type of flow, that type of free flow of, of his presence. So it ain't about us. I just, when I just said his presence, it, that's, that's, that's something to say. Okay. So it's all about him, but he needs a vessel. He needs 
a willing vessel to 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 work that through. On that note, <laughs> I think that's a wrap. Thank you so much <laughs> I for love joining you so us much, today. Dude. I'm so proud of you. Thanks so much for listening. It is such an honor to have you right here in the Convo Room. Conversations with mentors, moguls, and legends hosted by yours truly, Mark Allen Patterson. Look, I don't want you to miss a single episode. So can you do me a favor? Head over to ConvoRoom.com to subscribe and find all the information you need to stay connected. Until next time, remember, you're one conversation away from changing your life for the best. Have a great one.